Welcome, you're listening to Peerism, the show that brings research and opinion to the mainstream. Why Libra should not exist? Some of the brightest minds in the Bitcoin community have argued that Libra will foster financial inclusion while driving people's interest in cryptocurrencies, and in particular Bitcoin. In their view, the introduction of Libra will raise people's awareness about central banks' monopoly over monetary supply and give the general public exposure to the world of cryptocurrencies. Libra is a virtual currency managed by the Libra Association, a Switzerland-based foundation initiated by Facebook, independent of government authorities. This piece argues that although Libra might to some degree educate people on monetary and financial matters, this benefit does not outweigh the potential cost to society. This post does not explore the technicalities behind the Libra proposal, nor does it speculate on the potential regulatory implication or the composition of its reserve, that is, the basket of currencies and securities that would back the Libra coin. Instead, it explains how a modernized version of the bottom of the pyramid paradigm, BOP, from here onwards, Libra, constitute a threat to society. The concept of the bottom of the pyramid was first introduced by C.K. Pradahad in his book, The Fortune at the Bottom of the Pyramid. The underlying idea behind the concept is simple. Markets at the bottom of the social pyramid are a source of unexploited entrepreneurial and business opportunities. Those at the BOP are easily identifiable. They are actors of the informal economy, low-income earners, and represent the majority of humanity. Along with the concept of BOP, novel quote-unquote inclusive market strategies have emerged, which consist in targeting the bottom of the social pyramid, i.e. the poor, by developing products supposedly quote-unquote tailored to their needs. The concept is probably best exemplified by the story of Unilever and its Life Boy campaign in India. In the 2000s, Unilever introduced a product to South Asia that was originally sold in the UK and the US, but there, sales were dwindling and as a result forced the expansion into Asia. The product, marketed as quote-unquote designed for and built by the poor, was supposedly more than a simple soap. It was committed to a social mission and stood for something more important than just making your hair shiny, your skin soft, your clothes whiter, and your food tastier. Advertising campaigns in South Asia were supported by renowned institutions such as the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and Health in Your Hands. Unilever also relied on local communities and kinship by recruiting school children and single women to bring the product to market. Yet, the use of benign and inclusive language in the campaign obscured the power dynamics at play. The appropriation by a global multinational of poor social capital to add value to the product. Not worthy, a few, later, few years later, in 2015 and 2016, the EU and the US respectively banned the use of triclosan for household products 
one of the components of the Lifebuoy soap. To the present day, however, Lifebuoy products are still being sold and promoted in South and Southeast Asia. With the announcement of Libra, we are confronted with yet another BOP scheme, whereby the Libra Association, i.e. Facebook and other large corporations, is offering to make business works for the poor. The initiative, as described by the association's press releases and other communications, such as tweets, meets all the criteria of the BOP narrative. In its communications, the Libra Association depicts itself and its proposal in disingenuous and often misleading terms, which confuses and makes it hard for the public to disentangle Facebook and its acolytes' true motives. What follows is not an argument for a conspiracy, but points that have repeatedly been proven in the history of the social media giants' dishonest and manipulative campaigns and other instances of multinational humanitarian mission. There are large conflicts of interests when rent-seeking ventures also the one offering and providing public goods. And in the past, Facebook has proven itself as an untrustworthy actor whose business model is built on the monetization of data. We're going to look at some of the key issues facing Libra's creation. First, we'll look at adverse incorporation. Libra proposed to incorporate and include the unbanked into the financial system on adverse terms. Unlike citizens from the West, users of the Libra payment system will be subsumed to rules and laws dictated by a hundred organizations supposed to have the unbanked's best interests at heart. However, Libra's user will have limited, if any, legal recourse if something goes wrong. For instance, go and tell someone from the informal economy in DRC to sue a Swiss foundation mainly operated by Silicon Valley heavyweights. Second, lack of accountability. As naive as it might sound to some libertarian readers and listeners, there are avenues for citizens living in democratic systems to require transparency and hold governments and central bankers alike accountable. In corrupted political systems, accountability is harder to obtain, for sure. However, private sector solutions are not a panacea, as holding businesses accountable is equally arduous. Unless a significant share of the business shareholders are activists, most of them would primarily be concerned with their returns on investment rather than the respects of individual human rights. Astonishing as the practices might be, there are limited, if any, accounts where shareholders punished a company and its management team for defrauding and abusing customers. And a further secondary effect is a decrease in citizen demand for gov government accountability, which can entrench bad governance and corruption. Third concern, accumulation by dispossession. Facebook's business is based on data extraction and monetization. Unsurprisingly, in times where its successful products such as Facebook, Instagram are losing momentum, the company seeks to reinvigorate its business by creating new data sources from the limitedly utilized fringe of the population. Libra will allow members of the association 
to extract people's social capital to generate future value while making them legible, which means calculable, knowable, predictable, to global businesses. One may see a pattern here. When a business is on the decline, it turns to emerging economies. And finally, what we call depolitization of markets. By shifting the focus from the political onto the technical, Libra encourages the depolitization of markets. The Libra proposal is a technical solution and an engine of corporate benefits for a fundamentally political problem. The world where Libra exists is a world where, quote-unquote, democratically elected governments are replaced by technological superstructures automatically executing codes written by unaccountable elites, blind and deaf to the horrible consequences of applying rigid rules to the messy life of the real people. This could be seen as the epitome of a technocrat ruling system. Structural constraints will persist since political structures and power relations will remain unchallenged. While Libra could theoretically decrease economic and monetary corruption, it could also entrench other, often more complex, political forms of corruption. Obviously, this is not to say that Libra, and to a certain extent Bitcoin, are useless. Long before these, technological innovations have raised awareness and spurred societal and political changes. Bitcoin and Libra are an efficient way to make people think and take action to improve our broken financial and banking systems, but Bitcoin and Libra are not the solution themselves. Under the cover of being a remedy to our pains, under the cover of being a remedy to our pains, Libra is a window dressing initiative that seeks to generate new source of profits and will consequently make the solution to our political problem, i.e. lack of trust in democratic institutions, lack of accountability and transparency, harder to reach. We would like to leave you with this final thought and quote by Ben Dyson from the Bank of England. Quote unquote, the power to create money is so powerful, you've got to be very concerned about who has that power. Monetary supply must remain in the hands of a democratically elected government that citizens can hold accountable. Governments have to undertake the long-awaited reform of the banking system. But for these, we first need to restore public confidence in democratic institutions, and this will require to understand how to hold our central bankers and government accountable and get rid of entrenched interests. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us this week. You can find us at Peerism1 on Twitter. Goodbye.